Hello, I'm Stuart Ramsey. I am a paramedic working out of Glasgow East Station and I'm here today with... Monica McKenna. I am a doctor in emergency medicine at Glasgow Royal Infirmary. And today we're going to talk, this is going to be part two of an episode on staff welfare. So we recorded the first part of this in November and then we had some technical difficulties and then we've both been very busy and we are going to talk about staff burnout. So before, this was November 2022, mm -hmm. I had been saying the ambulance service was in quite a good place because of extra triaging measures. Mm -hmm. And you were saying that the hospital was not in a good place. Mm -hmm. And I think since then, we both had an absolutely horrific December. Yeah. Especially the week before Christmas. Yeah. I was on annual leave the week after Christmas. Lucky you. And I was actually off until the 18th January, so I missed all of that. Yeah. But when I came back, it was all very calm and there haven't been a lot of calls on the screen. And I suspect that's because of people striking in England and people in Scotland thinking they don't want to bother the poor ambulance service because they're being they're under strike. Mm. But how was your winter? Yeah, it's safe to say it was not enjoyable. I think for anyone in healthcare, not just in the emergency department, but probably for GPs, for the rest of the hospital, for the patients mainly. Um, I think we had two four-day weekends, public holiday weekends, didn't we? which uh, it was safe to say it was very unsafe um, and I think when we recorded this podcast the last time we talked about why we get burnout um, and I was reading a bit more about it recently and that the cause of it is unmanaged chronic workplace stress and I think the whole of December was you know, unmanaged workplace stress for everyone in the NHS. Um, and I think the most upsetting thing for most people in the health service is when you can't provide good patient care and you're not, you know, patients are not satisfied with the care they're receiving. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest causes of burnout. And certainly over Christmas and New Year, we, I don't think any of us in our emergency department felt like we could really provide that good quality care which really has an impact on you means that you're leaving each shift feeling really unsatisfied with what you've provided um so i think we've all been trying it. to sorry on you go i take it in those situations when you're seeing the department's not safe you're escalating that to management mm -hmm. and i think a lot of staff wonder why haven't there been any critical incidents declared? Why haven't we had major incidents declared when they've got people waiting for unsafe amounts of time? And would it be appropriate to say that's political reasons? Yeah, I think there's a whole lot of different reasons for it. And some might argue that it is political reason, reasoning behind saying no to declaring a major incident. I suppose part of the issue is when you have a one-off incident, you know, a bus crash or a um, block flats falls down, 
um, instigating a major incident works very well because you clear out the department and you make way for those casualties. I don't think there was anywhere to clear anyone to um, during that Christmas and New Year period because you would have had to have declared a major incident every day. You know, you couldn't feasibly have then come into work the next day because where would your staff? You know, you didn't have that turnover of staff and anywhere to put the patients. And I don't think over the Christmas and New Year period, anyone was inappropriately attending the emergency department. It wasn't people who had chronic health issues that were, you know, unable to see their GP. These were really sick people that we just couldn't turn around. We couldn't redirect them anywhere else because they all needed emergency care. Yeah, so... uh we've been dealing with increased demand for so long that we're actually doing everything we possibly can do so declaring a major incident isn't really going to give us anything extra on top of that yeah yeah it's just exactly one it. big undeclared major incident that's happened yeah, a month long a major incident basically which it felt like there was no reprieve there for a while um and i think that was what was really hard for staff. It wasn't just a one-off or a few bad days and it'll settle down. It, it, there was no reprieve from it for a while. Uh, and then January, we've had a couple of weird weeks where it's been quieter. Um, thankfully, it sounds like down south, they've not had a reprieve at all from it. And I'd hate to be in... Yeah, I think um, anecdotally from what I've heard, they've not had a quiet January. It's just continued on. I can't imagine how they are managing to work through that. I wonder if so. We've, we've, there's been a lot of work going on with pathways with the ambulance service recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I don't know if we were a little bit behind in pathways before COVID, and now we've really realised that we can't be sending people to hospitals that have got another option or a mm-hmm. better option. Yeah, and I feel as if the, these pathways are making a huge difference to our hospital, to us bringing people to hospital. Yeah. But what were you telling me? You've started something new? Oh, a continuous flow model uh, where we are trying to move patients out of the emergency department um, in a more timely fashion uh, towards where we've identified patients that would be being discharged that day. Um, just a, another measure to try and improve the flow within our department um, because we all know that exit block is the main reason that departments become unsafe and patient care um, is not ideal. Um, and again, like you say, the, the pathways you might be using the ambulance service, we are very keen in emergency medicine to use ambulatory care pathways. So some some areas have very well established ambulatory care so you know outpatient dvt pathways patient goes home they get some anticoagulant they come back the next day for their management of it um, and in some hospitals they've developed that even further and they have outpatient pe pathways where you can go home and come back for your ct scan the next day um and some of that, I think, maybe fell by the wayside during COVID as well. So that's part of the strategy for improving flow and patient care is to try and uh, redevelop or kind of push forward these ambulatory care pathways so that a, a lot more can be managed as an outpatient. Um, and you don't need to sit in the hospital bed to have your CT scan in the morning when you're very well and that's all you're waiting for. So your increased flow, I think the difference is 
before you wouldn't be able to send a patient up to a ward until that patient they were replacing had been discharged and they were physically gone. Yes, so we had a, um, a physical space to put them in. But and now, now we are sending them to a physical space, but um, it's part of it is to try and encourage uh, discharges from the ward and just to um, earmark those patients that might be going home later that day, that they can... Uh, you know, if they're ambulatory, can be moved to a discharge lounge or can wait for their paperwork or their medicine. Um, and the patient from the ED can actually take that space. Right. So let's talk about so spotting burnout. Yes. We're a wee bit back to front because we've had to record this twice, but... yeah. If you can, how do we spot someone? We've spoken about what burnout is in the last mm-hmm. episode. How do we spot burnout with our friends and colleagues? Uh, so I think anyone who um, is kind of physically or emotionally exhausted, uh, they might be struggling to sleep, uh, they might be forgetful, uh, not really concentrating. Uh, lots of kind of minor illnesses or ailments, uh, not eating properly, becoming more anxious or irritable. And then I think the one major thing is kind of loss of any empathy or compassion and feeling very cynical and and not really getting the same enjoyment out of their work or their personal life uh, and feeling quite pessimistic. Um, and actually you might notice more in their patient care that they seem to be a bit ineffective or not really accomplishing things in a timely manner, um, not really as productive as they would normally be. Those all might be signs of of burnout. Uh, I think I would say I've noticed some people when they're not having a good time, they're more likely to be late for work. Mm-hmm. Or they're kind of, like you were saying, less efficient, but they might be mm-hmm. at work, but they might not be signed on to the computer, which means they're not available. Mm-hmm. Or they mm-hmm. find lots of reasons to not be available mm-hmm. for emergencies rat compared to how they would have in the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like increased vehicle cleanings, a good way to not be available or needing to change your uniform, which I think people use... Um, you can certainly use it as a tool to make sure you're finished on time. Mm-hmm. Then I think there's people that take the mic and they might be unavailable for more of their shift mm-hmm. than less of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to clean your uniform and you have to clean your vehicle and you need to equipment. Yeah. But um, I would also say, so people having a short fuse, so things like just not being able to take jokes well or... Mm-hmm things bothering them that mm-hmm. really shouldn't be causing them the amount of stress and mm-hmm. anger that it, it is. Like, say there was something missing in an ambulance or I was working with a colleague one day and he was just raging about cars in front of him at traffic lights that had their foot on the brake instead of putting their handbrake on. <laughs> and I just said, do you know, if you're going to get as angry about that for every single person that's going to put their foot on the brake instead of mm-hmm. having a handbrake on, mm-hmm. you're really not going to, you're going to have a stroke. <laughs> yeah. Need to think yeah. about what's causing you anger and why, and is it because yeah. you're burnt out? Yeah. And I think that actually brings us on to the, the impact of it, I think, mainly is, is that it, it causes more um, 
medical error uh, and probably leads to worse patient care. Um, but I think also, as you're mentioning, you know, could cause you to have a stroke. There is an impact on your physical health as well. Um, you know, more predisposed to heart attacks and strokes and minor ailments and illnesses, as well as anxiety and depression and other mental health issues. Um, but I mean, it does have a physical strain on you as well. Um, yeah, and how would we go about, so you've identified someone who is potentially burnt out. Mm-hmm. Um, what can we do? So if we start as a preventative measure, like yeah. what kind of things can we do to stop burnout happening? Yeah, because I think prevention's probably the biggest factor. Uh, there's lots of things that can be done. I mean, I suppose working in an environment that is supportive and civil and you've got colleagues that you can speak to about it um, is very helpful. And things like doing debriefs, you know, cold and hot debriefs after very challenging or stressful cases, or you could argue after very stressful shifts, uh, where you all sit down and say that was horrendous, wasn't it? Let's all talk about it before we go home. Um, you know, yeah, rewarding. Yeah, sorry. sorry. We're particularly bad at that in the ambulance. We service. are. Yeah, I think the whole of the NHS is, and we're trying to improve it, but um, we probably do it for we probably do it for really awful cases. You know, where you have a child die, or you have a really prolonged cardiac arrest, or you know, something that's really hit everyone hard but actually technically you could argue that for most of your shifts you could do it um, especially during as I said that month of December um, I think things if you, like if you did have a, a debrief at the end of mm-hmm. every shift mm-hmm. then you might find issues that are fixable for the next shift exactly you're not aware yeah. Of. yeah I mean I suppose that's what our handovers are for we have handover in the morning, a handover in the afternoon and a bit of a more informal handover at the night shift handover Um, and that should technically bring up those issues but they don't always so uh, I think that's obviously the handovers lead lead to things like safety briefs and well we need to fix the masks, you know, we don't have the right filters and recess, that kind of thing Um, but really we probably should be doing it more but again, it's just the time pressures of the job. Um, yeah, we're things. quite lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, once I've handed my patient over and finished my paperwork, mm-hmm. usually, unless it's something that's affected you or you've made a mistake or someone mm-hmm. complains about you, mm-hmm. you, I find that I don't really take my work home with me. Mm-hmm. That's good. Because I I've think, got that, yeah. finishing that paperwork is kind of a wee bit closure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's probably something we struggle with a lot in hospital. Um, and and similar to you guys, you don't really find out exactly what happens to that patient in the next day or the next few yeah. hours. So I think a lot of staff take that home with them. And there's lots of strategies that could help uh, to try and leave that stuff at work because that probably leads to a lot of burnout. Um, and so... There's lots of suggestions about how you would leave work at work and so you can enjoy your own time at home. Uh, Things like not having your work email on your phone. Uh, We didn't used to have that. You would only check your emails when you went into work. Now everybody can just check it on their phone. 
every yeah, hour of the day. Um, I'm not important enough to be getting lots of emails though. <laughs> I suppose for people to disconnect from any social media or work WhatsApps or mute WhatsApps when you leave, you don't really need to to be updated constantly about work when you're not there. Yeah. Um, work chats, like a WhatsApp chat yeah. when everyone's moaning about it. Yeah, then you're just taking that day home with you. Um, and sometimes people feel that uh, going home and trying to switch off is very difficult after an intense shift. I find it after a back shift, it's really difficult to go home and switch off. Um, and a colleague had suggested that using glasses to block out any blue light uh, so that you're not being affected by that and your sleep hygiene's a bit better so that if you are looking at your phone or even listening to, uh, sorry, watching something, it's not affecting your sleep hygiene. Yeah, I think obviously shifts are the worst thing possible for yes. sleep. Yeah. But I, there's a book I'm fascinated by called Why We Sleep by Dr. Matthew Walker. Oh um, yeah, me too. Professor Walker, sorry. Um, there's just so much in that that makes you make small changes to your life and you mm-hmm. just think, oh no, I, I know why I didn't yeah. sleep then. Or Exactly. Um, and we obviously live in a country that, you know, half the year it's dark when we go to work and dark when we come home from work and it's not very healthy for us when we're doing shifts so simple things like you know light therapy and sad lights and all this does does help some people to try and improve their circadian rhythms and get proper sleep so yeah simple things like getting good sleep eating healthily doing exercise meeting up with people outside of work who are not medical or not working in the same services you trying not to traumatize them yeah don't tell everyone what's the worst thing you've ever seen at work um, <laughs> if you talk about exercise so during covid i mm-hmm. didn't have access to a gym and i had no idea how much weight training just mm-hmm. kept me level-headed and stress-free yeah. mm-hmm. and even if you find like a little routine you can have to finish work so mm-hmm. I used to wear my uniform to work thinking it would save me time getting mm-hmm. changed, so then mm-hmm. less time getting changed at work, more time, more free time, but yeah, you end up washing your uniform at home and then you've got your uniform hanging somewhere mm-hmm. and then I think indirectly it affects you by, you're, you're kind of never away from work. Mm-hmm. And when I started only washing my work clothes at work, I found a big difference because mm-hmm. of getting changed at the end of the shift that was me blo- like physically closing my locker and that mm-hmm. was almost like physically leaving work behind for another mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, and other people like to cycle to work or walk to work, that sort of thing kind of helps. Some people like to phone someone in the car and kind of offload all their day. I heard someone say that she phones her husband on the way home from work and rants at him for 20 minutes about everything that she did so that when she actually walks in the door, that's it. She doesn't have to then moan about work for an hour and it takes over tea time and bedtime. But that was very uh, good advice. Yeah, peer support, being able to speak about things you've done or you haven't done to someone that understands it because it doesn't Mm -hmm. really always help speaking mm-hmm. to your girlfriend or partner mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they'll hear they will pick out part of it and be like oh my goodness mm-hmm. but that wasn't the bad bit no <laughs> no i know that was the funny bit yeah i know i'm very lucky that my husband is also a medic but works in a very different field of medicine from me um 
and I could often tell him stories like that and he's more shocked by that. They said, what are you? They, they, the patient called you what name? <laughs> and I say, yeah, it's like water's off a duck's back for us. But um, it is helpful, I think, in some respects that we can talk about medical things. He does get it in some ways. Um, sometimes it's helpful if you have the one person at work that you can talk to about these things, not a group chat, someone that you could speak to and say, I find that really challenging, I'm really struggling with that. Um, which is why it's really important that you have a, a good team around you that you can confide in. But not everyone has that, so trying to promote that in healthcare is very important. And there's lots of emphasis, emphasis these days on well-being and um, some of it, I think, is a bit misguided and misses the point. Um, you know, there's a lot of funding for well-being initiatives when really what people probably want is somewhere warm and clean to have their break and somewhere that they can put their personal belongings in that's not going to be moved or touched or stolen. Uh, and, you know, parking somewhere that you can go that you can safely get to your car at night. Those things are actually really important make you feel a bit more valued than somebody giving you a free biscuit now and again. Yes. Yeah, we definitely, I mean, it's obviously, people are thinking, how can we help ambulance mm -hmm. as well? We can give them a cup of soups mm -hmm. and stuff when mm -hmm. they're hungry at hospital, but... Yeah. Right, if we think about, so we talked about burnout, so who do we speak to once we, so say I was at work and I noticed mm -hmm. my pal was under the weather, not happy, clearly something bothering them. It could be because of work, it could be because of other things. Mm -hmm. I would probably speak to one of my team leaders and just say I'm worried about X, this is mm -hmm. Y. And then they would probably speak to them. Or I think it's important to think about who you're actually telling about that person. So yeah. if you know they don't like that person, then there's no point in the person they don't like asking them, are you okay? Because they're just going to say no. Yeah, I'm you fine. want to speak to the right person. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd probably think about who I'm speaking to or who I'm mm -hmm. going to tell. And then mm -hmm. if that didn't really work, I would maybe speak to my manager. And then hopefully one of those two options is going to be enough to start a conversation with someone. It might be nothing to do with work. Exactly. But I suppose um, checking in with people at the start and end of shifts is important, just informally. Um, and I think in healthcare, we, we wear like fatigue as a badge of honour in a way um, and the, we're very good at coming to work when we're not we're not well we're not in the right mind frame no presenteeism is an issue people feel they can't take time off because of the burden it would put on their colleagues but actually really if somebody is burnt out and they're at their work they shouldn't be there you know and it's a patient safety issue it's not safe for them, it's not good for them and it's not safe for the patient. So we should be saying, I don't think you're in the right mindset to be here. Um, but trying to do that without offending someone or um, making things worse is quite difficult. So I suppose you can speak to their manager, you can speak to them personally in a quiet space. Uh, you can advise them to speak to occupational health. You can speak to the chaplaincy service, which is available to all staff um, and then there's lots of other groups that have kind of popped up that can provide some peer support or advice either either on the phone or in person yeah there's a couple of there's a couple of apps so there's mm -hmm. headspace mm -hmm. 
and we can always talk to Samaritans. Mm -hmm. But I think HR is the best bet because they can tell you, you can phone HR, they can give you a list of everything. We've yep. got another, we've got, so talking about trauma, we briefly mm -hmm. mentioned it before. Mm -hmm. And I think what, I, I was listening to what I said before and I don't know if, so I, I would say that if you've been exposed to a traumatic event at work, you should get sent home. Mm -hmm. But it depends on the event and it depends on the person. So if you've got, if it has been something that's kind of awful and you've got a whole shift to go, then mm -hmm. I would say you should definitely be sent home. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's all about processing an event and depending on your next patient is going to depend a lot if you're going to keep your job or not because mm -hmm. if you get sent to the most undesirable person you've ever met after being at one of the most awful events you've ever witnessed as a paramedic, odds are you're not going to treat that person nicely. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone deserves a certain level of respect, but they might tip you over the edge and it's m maybe not because of them, it's because of what you've just witnessed. Mm -hmm. So I think that when we're talking about PTSD and maybe burnout, they, they might be kind of quite linked to each other. Mm -hmm. It might have been an event that's causing the person to appear burnt out, but it could be a traumatic event they've not been able to process. Mm -hmm. yep. But I think it, it's just individual individual preference there's there's thoughts about people getting sent home to an empty house and then having mm -hmm. a worse time thinking about mm -hmm. what's happened mm -hmm. where they could just go back to the station and they could sit and talk about it with people and then go home when their shift's finished yep. um i suppose that's the thing every case is different isn't it and it'll be different for each individual uh, when we've had things like that happen in work i think it's important that you're given that option of are you okay to keep working I think maybe you need to go and sit down and have a you know a long cup of tea. You can stay if you want, but I think it's probably best you go home. And then how are you getting home? Who's at home with you? What shift are you on tomorrow? Um, and for us, we would say let your educational supervisor know or your line manager know what's happened because they need to be aware of it. Um, and you can say to them, you know, I'm going to let your supervisor know that this has happened and off you go home and maybe you're not all right to drive, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it, it should be done. If it's done properly, then I think it really helps, but we're probably very bad at it. In the yeah, well, we, it's kind of, I suppose it depends who you're working with, but now yeah. I've been in the ambulance service a bit longer, I'm a bit more aware that we need to look out for new staff. And I was at a traumatic cardiac arrest not long after recording this episode mm -hmm. and I was backed up by two technicians and two student technicians mm -hmm. and I think the two students had only been out a couple of days mm -hmm. and then I, I, was it was, I was reasonably stressed being in charge of that situation mm -hmm. and it wasn't until after it, I mean I did ask if everyone was okay but then it wasn't until the next day that I remember that it was a night shift and they've probably all gone home mm -hmm. and I don't know if, because it's night shift, there's nobody in the office at the station and mm -hmm. they're unlikely to have spoken to someone about it. So then I told mm -hmm. my manager and then they were able to check up on them after that. Yeah. But we use a system in the ambulance service. So the police use mm -hmm. it. It's called TRIM, Trauma mm -hmm. Risk Management. Mm -hmm. And basically, if you've been exposed to a traumatic event, you will, hopefully someone, like if I've flagged my manager, XYZ was at this traumatic cardiac arrest then they will get someone who's been trim 
trained to mm -hmm. just phone them, check in with them, they're okay, mm -hmm. and ask if they would like an assessment. And that would be a couple of questions to see how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And then they'd check in on them after a few days. And then it's really mm -hmm. up to the individual if they want it or if they don't want it. Mm -hmm. They might not want it to begin with, they can get it afterwards. But it's got mm -hmm. a couple of, it's got kind of, it flags up if you're likely to have been affected by something and then mm -hmm. help give, give you support in the future. That's good, yeah, that's good. I suppose that's yeah, the really thing, if you have individuals you can identify that have, you know, are, are better to speak to that person, then that's much more helpful, I think, than it being just a random, can you call and check on that person? Well, so there was, so when I was at, so I was at, I think I spoke about it in the last episode, so quite a bad situation. And then I phoned this number and it was mm -hmm. a random person. And they basically just ended up asking me like how I felt, mm -hmm. and I think it might have. I think it helped a little bit, but at the same time, it was a bit. It just felt a bit silly. Mm -hmm. Just it was more. I think I was so this trauma risk management didn't exist mm -hmm. then, and I think what I was expecting to happen was what we have now. Mm -hmm. I suppose uh, in summary. The important thing is to recognise burnout and to try and approach that person about it um, and then trying to get them the help that they need. Uh, so we would say seeking help and then um, getting in touch with occupational health, your own GP, any other support services that are available and there is lots of them online. Um, well improve hopefully the levels of burnout amongst your staff but the number one thing I think would be prevention so uh, working in an environment that's civil um, that has got good support systems in place where staff feel able to talk up and say you know I'm not coping or this isn't working or uh, this needs to change is really important uh, which is why having all these, we have GMC surveys once a year for trainees where it's supposed to identify areas or workplaces which don't have that kind of environment um, so that they can step in and try and improve things before it leads to uh, errors or affecting patient care. I Yeah, so for me, I think the things that have changed my work-life balance for the better is mm -hmm. having either a routine or a process for finishing your shift so for me I mm -hmm. before Covid I would have a shower when I got home now I have a shower before I leave work and like I was saying before I've had a shower my uniform's locked away once the keys close that's kind of me finished and I feel as if that mm -hmm really mm -hmm. benefits me and try and exercise after mm -hmm. every shift or before every shift and that although you can never really be bothered mm -hmm. doing it that without a doubt just makes makes such a difference even if it's just a walk sometimes I'll go for mm -hmm. a 20 minute walk before I go to work and I found that mm -hmm. has really helped me I mean I don't really get very stressed and I have in the past and I think if you look at your diet and exercise mm -hmm. and sleeping I mean, that's all anyone goes on about, but it really does make a huge difference. Yeah. We also have a checklist, which is in kind of staff areas. 
in, in the toilets in the changing rooms um, which I noticed popped up during Covid which was a going home checklist uh, and it just I think encourages you to take a moment to think about your day think about three things that were difficult and let them go uh, three things which went really well and you know acknowledge them and be proud of them um, and then choose an action that signals the end of your shift like you're saying uh, whether it's making yourself a coffee for the drive home or um, saying goodbye to your colleagues or you know turning out all the lights uh, and then there's a kind of tick box for switch your attention to going home and how are you going to rest and recharge for coming back the next day. Uh, so that is nice. It's in all the toilets at work um, to kind of make you think, right, well, this is the end of your shift. Not everything might have gone as well as you'd like, but some things have and you should focus on them. Um, and now think about how you're going to go home and enjoy your actual life. Um, yeah, we... <laughs> and I suppose that's the thing that people say. People will... Um, people will not miss you at work but people at home will miss you because your home is your real life uh, I don't think I've said it the right way but I've seen that saying and I think it's very true yeah we've all been given yeah. uh, personal yes. phones now in the ambulance service so there's no excuse that's uh, good. not mm -hmm. to do these things so um I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, like I said, I don't think I'm, a, I'm not important enough to be getting emails all the time, but I do get them. But then I do like having my emails mm -hmm. on my personal phone. But mm -hmm. I think if I was nine to five and I had a lot of people after me, I would switch over to that. Um, one thing I've done, I started last year, mm -hmm. was a positive reflection diary. Mm -hmm. And that was, was just, oh, right, yeah. I would write bullet points for the day. So just for example, mm -hmm. delivered a baby, so write that in, why it was good. Mm -hmm. uh, it's obviously like a really nice situation, but so easy to forget all mm -hmm. the good things that have happened in your, even like at the beginning of the day, you yeah. you end up getting sent to this lovely hundred year old lady. And then at the end of the day, you're just like, oh, that was mm -hmm. a crap day. But then you sit down and you think, oh, hang on a second. I spoke to her, helped her, mm -hmm. did that. And then you can look back, mm -hmm. see if you start mm -hmm. looking back, you remember all these things that you've totally forgotten about. Mm. That's really been nice quite things. nice using that. Yeah, that's a really good idea. That's great. And just a bit, oh, so in the last episode I spoke about radios. So we were talking about, um, mm -hmm. I've just, I did a course yesterday and we did a refresher on the airwave radios and... The emergency buttons, I kind of got it a wee bit wrong speaking last time. So for our radios, if we press the green button, it asks control to phone us back and then we can talk, we can we can tell them some information. Mm -hmm. um, if we have an urgent call back, so that's the red button, that will then put us to the top of the list of people mm -hmm. we've been spoken to. So potentially an emergency of mm -hmm. some sort or backup. And then if we feel as if we're in danger, there's a button on the top of the radio. If you hold that down for two seconds, it doesn't mm -hmm. send the police immediately, like I said, but it does open a channel mm -hmm. with control for ambient listening. So they'll be able to hear everything that's going on and mm -hmm. you can maybe say like, mm. hey Jim, put the knife down. Or if you can't really talk, oh, really? You, you can say code zero and that will get you the police immediately. Uh -huh. So that's how that right. works. Yeah, and I suppose that um, touches on 
we've been talking about burnout as you know as if everyone in the NHS experiences it or anyone who works in healthcare but um, I suppose you and I are quite frontline staff and some of the work that we do is quite dangerous uh, and I don't, I don't know about you but quite often feel intimidated or threatened within our emergency department um, and luckily there's normally a lot of police around quite often you'll be on a shift where there's not a single male member of staff and that's not to say that as women can't stand up for ourselves but um, it can be quite a threatening place sometimes um, and I think that is an addition to why burnout might be higher amongst emergency um, staff because you do always have that kind of low level threat and I can't imagine what it's like for you guys going out to people's houses and not knowing what's there um, and I've heard you mention a few um, cases like that where you know you've been threatened or uh, had to call the police as an emergency they, they usually do come very quickly but it can be very yeah, scary. I'm obviously I'm quite a large male, mm-hmm. and I've I'm in less less danger than smaller members of staff, whether they're, they're women mm-hmm. or men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly mm-hmm. feel I'm always worried someone's gonna. You, you do end, you just end up working with undesirable people, and you think this guy's nuts. This this lady is gonna bottle me. You just never know. But then it, <laughs> you always get. Mm-hmm. There's ones that don't look all that upset or angry and then all of a sudden you're in a mm-hmm. situation with mm-hmm. them and that's come out of nowhere and there's just so mm-hmm. many, mm-hmm. just unpredictable. Yeah. yeah, and it's not always physical, physically threatening. Sometimes it's just a bad no, edge of abuse, which, you know, it's just really nasty and it does affect your day and kind of spooks you and... Um, it's also not nice for me. Obviously, I've just taken a, a job where I'm the consultant in charge. It's not nice when you are having to back up your colleagues and you say, no, I can't send that young 23-year-old doctor in. Um, you know, when this patient's kicking off, well, I'll have to go in and sort it. Um, but, you know, it, it's intimidating and it's not pleasant. Um, and those are not necessarily the ones you call the police for. Those are usually... You know, you just tell them to sit back down in your cubicle, but it's a cumulative thing, and it, it does say I think affect everybody at the end of their shift. Yeah, I think the longer you do it, the less nonsense you take, and I'm getting very good at just I'm not leaving people at home, but being pretty clear that if they want any kind of treatment or assessment or transport, then they're going to have to play by the rules, and if you don't like it, we're away. Right, well, thank you very much. No, thank you. Thank you to Dr Monica McKenna from Glasgow Royal A&E. That was part two of Staff Welfare, and thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.